Welcome back to a Clubfoot Mom podcast. I am your host and fellow Clubfoot Mom, Maureen Hoff. I'm super excited for today's episode because it is a first for this podcast and a topic that I have wanted to discuss for a really long time, which is the role that physical therapy plays in clubfoot treatment. I get a ton of questions about this topic on social media, especially when I share videos or pictures of the stretching we have done with our cutie in the past and the physical therapy that we're currently doing with her now that she has graduated from her boots and bar. But I didn't want to discuss the topic without having an expert come and speak on this and I am more than thankful that the amazing Denise Watson agreed to be today's guest. Denise is an advanced practice physiotherapist in pediatric orthopedics and pediatric therapies at Chelsea Westminster Hospital in London. She is the lead practitioner in the Ponsetti Club service and has been practicing the Ponsetti method for 21 years. I'm so excited for Denise to share her expertise with you all today. So we're going to go ahead and dive in. Welcome to the podcast, Denise. I'm so happy to have you here. Um, yeah, let's dive in. Let's just start with you kind of explaining what your role is in clubfoot treatment, just so everybody has a better understanding of your experience with clubfoot. Oh, well, thanks so much for inviting me, Maureen. It's uh, really nice to um, be invited to be part of this podcast series. Um, so my name is Denise Watson-Tan. I'm an advanced practice physiotherapist and I work uh, predominantly with Clubfoot. And I've been working with Clubfoot for 35 years, but 21 of those have been using Ponsetti method. Mm. Um, I work at Chelsea and Westminster Hospital in London in my NHS practice, and um, I am the lead practitioner for that clinic. So all the new referrals come through to me and my team, who consist of uh, three other physiotherapists and uh, a clinical nurse specialist, healthcare assistant. And then I have uh, three lovely consultants that I work with, and we have just one clinic a month together. But basically, all of the casting and the follow-ups are done by the physiotherapists mm. within the team. Um, and obviously, the surgeons do tenotomies. Mm-hmm. But um, it's we, we see a, the total the total management of clubfoot. So we do oh. the casting, the manipulation, uh, assist with the tenotomies. We fit all of the braces and we do all of the follow-ups from birth to skeletal maturity. So... We sort of see the total, total journey of the child with clubfoot. It's a really lovely role. Wow. So you see it all from start to finish of the treatment. Yeah, I am a clubfoot nerd. Wow. (laughs) Well, that's awesome. I think you are the first physical, like physio, physiotherapist that we've had on the podcast. And it's been a topic that so many people have asked me about and in the U.S. it's a little bit more emergent right like there's a lot of um, I think parents have want a lot of information about it so uh, in this episode we kind of garnered it's a little bit different for people who listen to um, 
a lot of my episodes because Denise actually asked me, she was like, why don't you just get questions from parents? Like, I just want to answer questions that parents have. So I put it on uh, social media, on my Instagram, and I just kind of gathered a bunch of questions that people had. So Denise is just going to answer a bunch of those questions and so that they're actually from parents about what it is that you guys wanted to hear about. So I'm looking forward to it because it's a little bit different than I've done in the past. And I hope that it'll just be really beneficial for everybody listening to get that information and to hear from Denise's expertise, because obviously you're a clubfoot expert. So it's exciting. Thank you so much for being here. Oh, well, thank you. I think nerd yeah. rather than expert, but off we go. <laughs> well, we can do both. I mean, I don't know if you can be an expert without being a nerd in the topic. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> they're kind of the same, right? They're synonymous. Um, so let's just start with, I'm going to start with, is is it beneficial for a child with clubfoot to see a PT weekly? Um. I think the answer to that is it depends, mm-hmm. but in the main, no. So if we're talking about a child who's had manipulation, casting, tenotomy, worn their braces really well, that child shouldn't need any special treatment mm-hmm. and they should be functioning completely normally and participating in all sports with their friends. And mm-hmm. and even when they're in the maintenance phase, the boots, boots and bar phase, Mm-hmm. The boots and bars are doing the work. Mm. And when they come out of the boots and bars during the day, they really should be achieving normal milestones. Now, there are a lot of children who don't have that easy journey or have other conditions associated with clubfoot. And maybe those children need a little bit more PT input. But actually, they just need most children just need to be encouraged to be active and mm-hmm. do lots and lots of normal activity. So I would say in the main note, they don't need to see a physiotherapist weekly, but it's good to be in touch with a physiotherapist for regular review. Okay. So do you think that all kids with clubfoot need physical therapy or should be seeing a physical therapist at some point? Well, I'm very biased because uh-huh. I'm a physical therapist. Right. <laughs> and I think that physios have a lot of skills that some other professions don't have. So we're very good at looking at child development. Mm. We're very good at looking at, at, at gait or walking yeah. patterns. Right. We're That's good right. at advising on exercises and activities that are going to be really helpful. So actually, I do think it's really helpful to have a PT in your life if you've got a child with clubfoot. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And how often do you think you should see a PT like do you like I guess walk us through what you think would be a good regimen like do you see them when you move into boots and bar do you start like at what point should you start seeing a physical therapist well I think it's quite good to see them at each sort of milestone point in their journey so Mm -hmm. you know maybe see them when they're first going into their boots and bar so okay first in the cast so that you can talk about handling positioning what's good to stimulate their development what you know what positions they can safely be in how you can carry them win them those sort of things yeah um, then when they go into the boots and bars again how you manage that with their with their development what they're allowed to do and not allowed to do so mm. you know some some families get really worried about the fact that maybe they're not going to crawl in the boots and bar or roll over and of course they are going Mm -hmm. to do those things and just to reassure parents really and and encourage them that it's okay if their child pulls up to stand when they're in the boots and bar and Mm -hmm. it's okay if they roll over and they crawl and and those things 
I mean, it's a little bit different because in our clinic, we're seeing them, we're the ones doing the follow-up. Right. So we're, we're, right. we're talking about those things every visit. Yeah. And so I think it is good. And then, of course, when they come out of the boots and bar, you want to keep that close check on their walking and their strength and their, you know, all of those milestones, those motor milestones. Yeah. And we're checking for the other fine, other things like the fine motor skills and cognition and all right. of that. All the things that aren't necessarily yeah. being picked up by your orthopedic surgeon. Or no, it's about the holistic child. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah. And I, um, that's been my experience with my PT as well. It mm-hmm. just feels like there is a more holistic approach to her overall development and taking into all of that into account yeah. as opposed to just what's happening with that one part of her body, right? Like just yeah. with her club foot, but we're talking about all of it and how it all works together. Yeah. And yeah. particularly so particularly when a child first goes into the boots and bar and all the issues you have about sleeping and positioning and sleeping and just having somebody that can say, yeah, do you know, it's fine if the child sleeps on their side and their leg looks in a bit of a weird position because they'll move if they're uncomfortable, you know, knowing that's okay or, or, you know, just giving advice on how to get them comfortable when you're carrying and lifting them and all of that sort of stuff in those early stages. And then as they start becoming more active, reassuring parents that really, kids with club foot can really lead a very normal life. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Are there movements that you suggest at home for different stages? Like, are like stretching, like we were sent home with boots and bar with like a stretching regimen of what we should do every day to kind of stretch her feet. Is that something that you guys recommend there too? So there's a there's a the jury's out really on this because there's no hard and fast evidence about whether yeah. stretching is needed. So okay. what I would say is, uh, I mean, our take is if um, you've got a child who has full range of movement, fits into the boots and bar easily. Mm-hmm. Why do you need to do stretches? Because the boots and bar are doing all of that. Mm-hmm. If you've got a child who's a little bit tight and it's just a bit more tricky to get them into the boots and bar, then maybe doing mm-hmm. some stretches before you get the boots and bar on would be a good idea and relax the child, get them used to being handled, that mm-hmm. sort of thing. But um, either way, I mean, I think it's I would tend to do it on an individual basis rather than blanket. Everybody needs stretches. Um, But I do think the stretches need to be monitored. I do think they need to be taught by a physical therapist who's really used to stretching the foot in the right way so that you're not overstretching the middle Mm. part of the foot and you're getting the stretch in the right right part of the foot. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think that 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 makes a lot of sense. I think is there what do you recommend after they graduate from boots and bar and you're seeing them as follow up and trying to, you know, prevent any further treatment from happening is there like a physical therapy stretching regimen that you do is it is it a play through stretch I know you said yeah I'd much rather play I'd much rather play do stretch through play so encouraging positions Mm -hmm. like squatting encouraging Mm -hmm. things like standing on one leg you know if you've got a little one playing at a at a surface and they've got their toys in front of them they're standing up you can sneak in behind and just lift. Maybe you've got a unilateral club foot. You just lift the unaffected foot up so that they're taking more weight on their affected foot, that mm-hmm. sort of thing. So you're getting a good stretch using their own body weight, getting them used to weight bearing through their joints and stretch that way rather than, I mean, how many toddlers like to be pinned down and have stretches? So it's much more effective yeah. to do it through through play. So squatting, yeah. sit to okay. standing, 
Okay. Sitting, sitting with their legs straight out in front of them and playing with you in that sort of long leg position, maybe with your feet up against their feet, those sort of stretches. Okay. Active, active stretching is what I'd say. Okay. Yeah, because as we've moved um, from her being in Boots and Bar and now it's, we're kind of outside of that, he was like, eventually the manual stretching isn't going to be as effective as her body weight, like, because she's getting bigger, she's getting stronger. And she's like, so you're going to get more benefit out of the active stretching than you are even just manual. Um, And so that, that what you're saying makes sense to me in that aspect. He didn't explain it exactly like that, but I do think that that makes sense of like, it's just gonna it's it's also it's using activity yeah gain what you want so yeah. using really good activity so things like climbing walls mm. are great kids really have to stretch when they're using them so that's stretch and strength or maybe yoga you know they're, they're getting great stretch and strength when they're doing yoga playing and squatting mm-hmm. so when I've done some time working out in places like Bangladesh I see mm-hmm. how much the children there, it's it's part of their culture to squat, lovely long Achilles tendons. You know, yeah. you get a really nice stretch on the hind foot. Very few of our kids in the UK certainly play in squatting. So it would be something we'd really encourage them to do. And lots of squat to standing work when they're little. And then as they get older, encourage that to be an activity that they continue to do. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah, I think that that makes a lot of sense. And I think someone asked even like, how to make it fun? Like, how do you make, how do you make the physical therapy fun? And that's where I feel like that play kind of comes in is like, it's not, you are not sitting down doing stretching, we're like going to play and focus on that. So we've made a video with Global Global Club Foot Initiative, made a video okay. a couple of years ago called Strong and Stretchy. That's mm-hmm. quite nice. That's on YouTube. So okay. if, you, if you go to Global Club Foot Initiative, you can find the link through YouTube. And that's got some lovely okay. exercises for club foot, which are fun. And, mm-hmm. you know, that's that's a great thing that you can put on YouTube and let your <laughs> child do. But there are loads of exercise videos and resources like that on YouTube that just make it make it fun or going to dance class or as I say yoga swimming's fantastic activity it's total body really good and I love cycling as an activity for mm-hmm. all children with club foot because it's low impact so you're not worrying about any sort of high impact activity mm-hmm. it's very symmetrical and it really really works the legs and if you think about cyclists and where their really strong muscle groups are their calves and their quads are really strong and that's really good for club foot Mm, yeah, that's really smart. I feel like that makes a lot of sense. Is there anything, this isn't a question that was from the people, but it's from me. Is there, are there any activities that you think that clubfoot kids should shy away from? Like, Honest answer, I'd hope not. If they've okay. got well-corrected clubfoot and they're doing really well, I'd hope not. But um, for some kids, things like trampolining, Maybe if they're if they're very asymmetrical, it's maybe less good. And and I think if you've got a really really sporty child who's very competitive, I would encourage them to try and get their fitness through slightly lower impact activities like swimming or cycling, rather than always be running. So mm. if if all of their teammates are running around a field twenty times to get their fitness, maybe maybe the child with clubfoot would do more cycling or more swimming to get that fitness so that they're then really fit for the game they can save themselves for the game a bit yeah 
Wow. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Like they're still able to build that endurance that they need, but yeah. with a lower impact yes. on the body. Yeah. I feel yeah. like, I mean, we just, I feel even as an adult, the difference of running versus cycling, you're like, I'm getting the yeah. same sort of endurance, but it's so much harder on my body when I'm running. Like it's yes. just tough. I, mean, I, I do have some grown up patients now having, cause mm-hmm. I've been doing this for 21 years. So yeah. Yeah. I do have patients who run marathons, climb mountains, yeah. Yeah. do everything um, and just don't experience any pain. Mm-hmm. Interestingly, I saw a, a 19 year old chap recently and he's got real discrepancy in his foot size and his calf size mm-hmm. Actually, that makes no difference to what he can do at all and he has as I say run marathons climbed mountains yeah. does kickboxing you name it he's super sporty it just looks different yeah okay what do you think about we're entering that age where my daughter is starting to have like outside sports with other coaches. She's going to gym class. She's doing that. Do you think there's benefit in telling the coaches about our child's club foot or should we not? I'm a bit of an advocate of it's not a problem until it's a problem. Okay. So I tend to tell, I, I, unless there's a good reason. So unless like they've just had TAT surgery or mm-hmm. they've had specific problems with with a foot or I I probably would let the coaches discover it for themselves because mm-hmm. you don't want to limit what they're being asked to do so unless you've got a good reason to limit their activities so okay. say for example they've had a, a, a tibialis anterior tendon transfer mm-hmm. you're going to want to limit jumping activities mm-hmm. for a while after mm-hmm. that and mm-hmm. so then they would need to know but if you've got a well-corrected idiopathic club foot and they want to go to ballet or they want to go, you know, I wouldn't say anything. Okay. I'd just let the coach, the coach will come back because if you say they've got a right club foot, they'll be looking for that all the time. Yeah. That's the, that is the dynamic that always is playing in my mind of yeah. like, it's not a problem. They'll unless come I, to you. They'll yeah, come to you. Right. And if, if they're noticing something different, they'll yeah. come to you and then you can explain. Yeah, or my child could come to me and say, "Hey, this is hurting more. I'm feeling more tired. Yeah. I'm struggling with this." And then at that point, I can step in and advocate for what they need if they think it's a problem too. So maybe it's just it's it's a whole new world trying to figure out how like when you know when she's in boot when she was in boots and bar it was different because it just felt like we were in active treatment and now we're yeah. in kind of passive. Um, of we're doing like active stretching and she's in a lot of activities and we're trying to keep her super active, but at the same time, we're not doing anything every day. So it's kind of this weird in between. So yeah, that's helpful. But you are doing something every day and that's, you're keeping her active. And things I want would love people to go and look at is the world health organization recommendations on activity for children. Mm. Because it's really, really shocking how Mm. much activity children actually should do. And most of, I don't know what, whether it's like this for your guys, but Mm. most children in the UK are not doing those sort of levels of activity. So it's really quite, quite, um, striking actually mm-hmm. I mean it's it's a couple of hours of act of quite strenuous activity a day is what's recommended yeah yeah I mean yeah I think that's hard it's it's I'm sure it's surprising how much you're actually supposed to be active so so the World Health Organization recommends 
at least 60 minutes a day of vigorous oh. physical activity uh, on at least three days a week. This is from children from five to 17. Mm. Okay, so that's moderate to vigorous is like scooting, running, cycling. Mm. That's every day, at okay. least, at least. And then, um, and they want strengthening of muscle. It's really, it's really good actually. So it's World Health Organization guidelines on physical activity, and and they they go across the age groups. Mm. Okay. Well, yeah, we'll have to have everybody check it out. I think that's good information for us to have as yeah. parents in general. With I have two uh, non club foot kids, yeah. um, and then I have my clubfoot cutie so it's an interesting thing to see the difference between the two of them and there really isn't there really isn't a whole lot of difference at this point um I've been lucky that my kids are extremely active almost to the point of like whoa chill out but but it's nice in a way it's like encouraging that activity right of making sure like I think parents I know myself I can talk about I feel fear sometimes that she's going to do something to hurt herself and then have some an issue with that will impact her feet like if she jumps off of something and she hurts her foot or if she you know so I do feel like I'm constantly trying not to be like overly careful with her because I'm like god we've worked so hard to get her feet into this position I would hate for something to happen but then on the same on the other hand of that it's like I've we've worked so hard so that she can do whatever she wants, right? Like that's the other part. Like I don't want to be the person limiting her because I'm scared she's going to hurt herself. But there definitely is that fear of like, oh, I don't want anything to happen. Yeah. It's right. that letting go. It's quite yeah. hard. Isn't it? yeah. I mean, the, only, I, the only thing I the only thing I maybe would put some restrictions on is if you've got a family. Some families are really just like sport fanatics and yeah. just go 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 all the time and if they were going to come to me and say right I want my child to be a top flight runner that's what I want them to do I might say to them look you've got a competitive sporty child maybe you should consider a sport that is not going to just put so much strain on the feet so maybe you could be a cyclist or um a climber or a swimmer or a yeah. rower or something that isn't quite going to be so hard on the feet just yeah. in case later on you yeah. don't want to set them up for failure or if they're if they're soccer mad yeah you know, think about being a goalie rather than rather than one of the sort of midfield players yeah yeah you know, it's, it's just especially if you've got a child that is sort of struggling a little bit and is becoming frustrated yeah um, because of it so, yeah. but in the main, most children, you know, if they're playing at school and club level, they should be able to do every activity. We're talking about here, those children that want yeah. to go yeah. one step higher, higher than that. Right. And I think that that's the individual aspect of what you're talking about. Every child's different and we have to meet yeah. every child where they're at and what they're interested in and go from there. Right. But it's also, I feel that treating kids individually and then also parents expectations right like and being able to fit those two together sometimes doesn't always match it's like parents expect their kids to either not be able to do something or be able to do too much it's like we just got to see where every how it all works out right and also the other thing I see is parents worrying about the look of the feet Mm. especially in unilateral club foot I'm going to talk Mm -hmm. you know it's a it's a it's a 
I think it's much more difficult for parents with children with unilateral club foot yeah. touches. The bilateral yeah. tend to be more symmetrical. Yeah. With unilateral, there are always going to be differences. Mm -hmm. And um, just trying to not worry so much about the look of what your child is doing, look about, uh, but think about what they're doing. Yeah. So, you know, like I'm going to go back to soccer. You can have a very asymmetrical gait with a unilateral club foot, but maybe that's going to give them some skills in soccer that yeah. are different. Right, right. From their peers. Do, do you do, someone asked, do you have recommended exercises for just unilateral club foot versus bilateral? Do you treat that uh, independently? Well, watch this space. I really want to, that's that's a, that's a mm -hmm. another project. Yeah. I mean, we do spend tend to spend more time. So lots of single leg stand weight bearing, lots of heel lifting on one leg. Mm. With unilateral club foot, you've got to get them onto the affected uh -huh. leg, off the unaffected leg, because they mm. just overuse it so much. So yeah, lots and lots of of one leg work stuff mm. really really challenging that that um, affected leg yeah because I'm sure just like anything you overcompensate with the yeah. foot that doesn't have um yeah. any issue um and I, you have a slightly different rotational profile right. in the leg yeah and, and you can't change that you've just got to work with it you can yeah. change it in in most cases it's not something that you consider you'd consider doing. That's a surgical procedure mm -hmm. that probably isn't necessary. Yeah. So it's really focusing on strengthening that unilateral. Yes. Doing, yeah. doing things where you're getting them on to to strengthen and stretch the unilateral. And that's why I love cycling because cycling yeah. have to be symmetrical. Horse riding yeah. also really really good. Mm -hmm. I guess I'm not a skier, but I'm guess skiing yeah. would be very yeah. very similar. You know, yeah. really great you've got to be symmetrical haven't you so yeah. um you know yeah, yeah. skiing's been skiing's great yeah. too our pt was like it's really good because it also has a ton of stability for the foot yeah strengthening yeah. The foot into that but you and you use a ton of your calf muscles to maneuver the skis but you're not um but it's not in a flexible it's in a very stable boot and you know if you were a a ski physio, you could really do some really great weight bearing encouragement over onto the natural yeah. club foot in skiing, couldn't you? Doing yeah. some, making sure you're doing turns on that side again and again and again. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's so true. Mm. Let's see here. Okay, here's another question of club foot and hypermobility. Yeah, so how do those two go together? Yeah. It's surprisingly common. Um, yeah, how do they go together? <laughs> oh, these kids have a tough time because they've got to yeah. work. They've got to they've got to stay stretchy in the affected club foot, but yeah. they've also got to stay strong in in their hypermobile joints. So I think this is a group that do benefit from having some some therapy input actually, so that you can okay. really work getting their core strong and getting the muscles that are above the club foot strong. Really, mm -hmm. really helpful with this group. Mm. So yeah, they're a group that really benefit from from physical therapy and strengthening of their core. So that's mm. all their, you know, their their abdominals, their bottom muscles, their hip muscles. Yeah, right. Yeah, right. really good quads, their mm -hmm. back, you know, all of that. Get that strong, and the rest sort of falls into place. Right. Well, actually, I mean, I think that that's I I hear that just in general of everybody, mm. like people who have knee pain or ankle pain, yeah, or they're everybody. like, yeah, everybody needs to build their <laughs> core strength. Old people like me. 
<laughs> I mean, my dad, my dad recently had, or a couple of years ago, had like a total knee replacement. And a lot of the stretches that they told him to do in PT were all about the core muscles yeah. and stuff that I do kind of in my normal exercise thing. And I was like, yeah. I was like, okay, so I am building some strength here. Like, yeah. and I do think that we, if you're not looking at the holistic part of it, and that's the part of the PT that I think is so valuable is looking at the entire child and seeing their entire development and building muscle, not just focused on the one area that you have that we've honestly been focused on for the whole time. Like we're focused on the corrected foot, keeping the feet in a corrected position, but we're not stepping back and looking at the entire child and how that all functions together. Yeah. Yeah, it's vital. It's vital. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's that's where I think parents are starting to go like, and it's the developmental stuff that you're talking about too. Like it's that piece of like just common things that we have so many questions about of like, how do, how do I hold my baby when she's in cast versus when she's in boots and bar? Is it okay to carry her? Is it going to cause issues on her hips if, if she is what's being the, carried, what's the best sort of forward carrier? Yes, you know, yes. Do I support them? How do I win them? Yeah, you know, yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. And then also just developmental milestones. You hear a lot from the community about like my kid isn't walking yet. My kid isn't, um, you know, crawling or doing jumping. Like doing the same. Is it okay? Are they okay? Are they in the same develop? And it's like those are the type of things that I feel like the physical therapist is going to have so much more knowledge about than. Um, you know, your surgeon, right? The surgeon. So a really, a really common one that comes up is my child's falling over all the time because of the club oh, foot. Yeah. And the child probably isn't falling over all the time because of the club foot. They're okay. just falling over all the time. And that yeah. could be because they're a toddler. Toddlers fall yes. over dozens of times a day. That's normal. Yeah. Yeah. Because they're hypermobile. So hypermobile right. children fall mm-hmm. over more because they, one, they get weaker quicker. Two, they're not yeah. as stable. So they yeah. fall over. And three, have you checked your child's vision? Because they're falling over because they're not seeing quite so well. So there's many different reasons for falling over a mm. lot. And club foot may be the bottom of that list, not the top. But we see as a parent of club foot, yeah, everything of is club foot first. And so yeah. it's always standing weird, falling over, running into things, you know, not having good balance. It's all, it, everything is first look through the club foot lens. And I think part of that is because it's ingrained in us from a, from the beginning of like, if there's anything different, it could be leading to a relapse. So we're constantly on guard, but the reality is that there are so many different reasons yes. why things are happening developmentally with your child that have nothing to do with the club foot, but we are so trained to look for club yeah. foot um, that it's good to have that perspective of somebody coming in and being like, no, this is just very normal, like normalizing the things. And then mm. it could be all of these other aspects, yeah. you know, yeah. I think yeah. another thing that happens with that is the sleeping. Everybody thinks... Uh. The we could have another complete podcast on that, I think, Maureen. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I really think because I do think that's a huge part of development versus mm. boots and bar and the boots and bar become the catch all for every sleep issue, you know, um, yeah. personal experience with that, too. And then also the emotional impacts of it. But that's another part where you're constantly like, you know, what's developmentally normal and what is clubfoot related. So. Yes. 
Yeah. yeah. I think, uh, let's see. Mm. I think you asked about pain. I think one of them was about. Yes, was like my main concern is my child feeling pain because there was some, it, because there's something that I could have done now. Like, are, is there, is there a way that we can prevent future pain for our children with physical therapy? Yeah. That's so, so first of all, you're doing the first thing to stop pain for your child is you're doing Ponsetti method instead of going okay. down on a, a sort of open surgical approach. Mm-hmm. Um, secondly, you're encouraging your child to be strong, stretchy and active. Okay. Uh, that's all going to help with pain. Now, some children do get pain around sort of five, six, seven, they get growing pains. Now, these can be quite intense and they're very different from the specific pain that's related to, again, not related to club foot. Okay. But I do, my impression, now I've got nothing to back this up, but my impression is they tend to get more growing pains in the affected foot than the unaffected foot. So we're back to, again, unilateral club foot being a little trickier. And I think that's probably due to the fact that you know, they take a bit more impact on that that foot. It's a little bit weaker. You know, it's just yeah. all of those things. But but actually, so growing pains are normal. And and you'd, they'd normally complain of this in the knee and down the front of the leg, around the, around the calf, okay? Not specifically in the foot. So again, a well-corrected club foot where you've used the brace for the whole protocol, shouldn't be getting pain because of the club foot. The pain mm-hmm. may be unrelated. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you do get specific pain, so we've had quite a lot this summer, actually, we, we've had a quite a dry, we had quite a dry beginning of the summer, quite a lot of sort of things like metatarsal fractures in the older children, not because they've got club foot, but because we had a dry, hard ground and they were playing lots of sport. Yeah. So that's the same with any child. Right. right. More likely to have that. However, right. vitamin D is a really good thing. I don't know whether you take your kids take that regularly, but it's something in the UK that we recommend all of our kids take to give mm. them really good bone strength. Okay. Yeah. I think. What do you think? Okay. So as a parent, you know, we're always looking at like thinking through the club foot lens and your kid starts to complain of pain and you're trying to figure out, okay, what is this pain? Should it be something I'm concerned about? What do you think parents should do like before they immediately jump to my kids having a club foot relapse sort of thing right well I mean relapse wouldn't be just pain relapse you would see in the position and the function of the foot pain would be I mean pain would be for lots of other different reasons really so so when you're talking about relapse you're really talking about the way in which the foot is functioning the way that you're not striking straight on the foot the heel's not coming down fully maybe you're taking more weight on the side the front the the big toes flicking up that sort of thing Mm -hmm. um pain in boots overnight is a common perception again we talked about that we could have a completely separate (laughs) podcast on what's correct and not correct in boots and bar but that's true yeah yeah kids wake a lot in the night yeah and then we worry that the boots and the bar is what's causing them pain Yeah, we um, and I think that's also the leading questions with your kids, you know, of like, do your feet hurt? And then they're like, yeah, they do when they're like when they're three. Right. They don't really know how to fully articulate what's happening. But as a parent, I always try to help uh, 
you know, caution parents on leading their question, like going like, do your feet hurt? Do this. Like it's this piece of tell me where it hurts. Tell me what the pain. And that can be Mm -hmm. a little bit frustrating when you're talking with toddlers because they don't fully understand what's happening. But and they tire and they tire quickly. Yes. You know, there's a huge discrepancy mm. in stamina in mm. in in that that young age group. You know, they some children. So our kids in the UK start school at the year they're going to be five. So some of them are literally just four when they start school, yeah. and you know they're exhausted at the end of school yeah. and need to go home in a buggy. Whereas the ones that are already five you know probably going to run and jump and skip home and go to the park on the way home so yeah. there's a huge discrepancy and there's that's going to be the same with children with clubfoot as well yeah I think that's so so important for us to understand and for parents to I think that's sometimes a, uh we're so focused on the clubfoot that we don't always pull back and just look at the full picture of your child's full development and what uh, that looks like. And yeah. I think that's such a benefit that physios bring that maybe the other people on the medical team don't necessarily talk about or even think about. You know, some of the times I've had conversations with people who are like, oh, I haven't even thought about that. And I'm like, mm. Because you're, it's not part of your daily role and parents, but yeah. this is the part where I'm like, this is where I try to create resources for parents that they don't currently have that they're constantly asking about, right? Like, who, yeah. who do they go to for these questions? I mean, for, and, so, so for an example for that is a physio would maybe then look at the child's shoes and say, okay, um, well, let's look at these shoes. Are they really supporting the foot as well as they can? Could mm-hmm. we maybe suggest something that's got a little bit more impact absorption okay. in it yeah. that's going to support the foot a little bit better yeah you know really in really flat sort of converse shoes that don't give them much support yeah, some kids are fine in converse but there are other right. kids that would do better yeah. with a little bit more support a bit more of an arch um yeah. you know and actually actually need a little bit more cushioning yes. um to, to get good walking and you know are the shoes too heavy yeah Have they been put in shoes that the opposite the opposite are just too supportive and they're too heavy and they just Mm. can't really you know they're tiring because they're in really clumpy shoes right that was one of the questions that we had was do you make shoe recommendations like if someone comes in they're like you know my toddler's starting to walk uh what do you say do you have that actually i do but mainly but but nearly all from high street all from high street stores it's really really rare that i'll actually prescribe specialist footwear okay. and really only then if they are super super wide feet that we really okay. cannot get into anything yeah. else maybe yeah. that would be one reason or okay. if they've got an underlying other condition mm-hmm. so that's but otherwise yeah i'll look at shoes because i get recommendations from other parents so when children come in i say oh that's a nice pair of shoes where did you get that from okay. i'll tuck that away and then yeah. You know, we'll recommend, yeah, these are really good for children with wide feet. You know, this tends mm-hmm. to work or these shoes open up really. So it's really easy to get them on because then they can't curl their toes so much. So, you know, yeah. you keep the sort of library. So, yeah, we can recommend yeah. just from experience, really. Any shoes that you're like, no, stay away from those? Yeah, Ugg boots. Ugg boots. Okay. <laughs> Slip on shoes. Slip on shoes generally are bad. So, you know, the little ballerina shoes they're all girls shoes the boys are much more sensible generally um yeah I'm being facetious but, well they're um, being more function I mean I have three girls so yes I do but it's little ballerina you, shoes or Ugg boots you're they're going to pull their toes to keep those on and yeah. that's not great for the foot 
But if they want to have some for a party, that's fine. But they shouldn't be the shoes that they were in, you know, 24-7. So if you're sending a kid to school all day, they're five, they're out of boots and bar, you're sending them in some sort of trainer shoe, like trainers or, you know, school shoes that are like uh, like trainers and nice firm heel, high fastening, nice, nice sort of molded sole, really. Okay. Those are shoes, shoes that fit that bill. Yeah, I think about that because I'm like, I want my child's out of when you know, when they're home for the summer, right? They're like in and out. They're they can and most of the time they're barefoot because they're walking. Yeah, around great, out, which is right? perfect. Yeah, but it's when they're at school all day. You're like, I need something that she's going to feel comfortable longevity wise because we talk about that stamina feet in her feet and like, but that aren't too that are comfortable without. And yeah. with also giving the support that she needs. I think I said trainers. I probably should have said sneakers. Well, I think I like the same. Yeah, sneakers, sneakers, uh, tennis yeah. shoes. But there's so yeah. many different. It's one of those yeah. one of those groups that has a lot of different names. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think one of the things that uh, our doc told us no was Crocs. They were like, no Crocs. Crocs are big. No, again, because they're slip-on. They're so slip-on. not lace-up, not lace-up yeah. or Velcro. And they tend to crunch the toes in them. And they're a little bit bean-shaped Crocs. But again, in the summer, you know, kid might need a pair of Crocs because they're going to get cut, you know, water play equals Crocs, doesn't it? And and, and Crocs are probably better than flip-flops. So it's sort of... Yeah, yeah, right. I feel like that's... If we were just running into somewhere doing something easy, I'd be like, yeah, you can put your Crocs on, you know? But I feel even with my with my older girls who don't have club foot, if they're wearing their Crocs like to school for a long period of time, they're like, God, my heel really hurts. And I'm like, yeah, right. You probably exactly. shouldn't be wearing your Crocs all day. Yeah. Like that's not, that's not what the Any child. Yeah. Yeah. It's the same. Right. And so yeah. I think that's the part where parents can go like, well, I have to treat my club foot child different. And it's like not, not necessarily no. probably no, no child should be wearing Crocs all day long. Right. No. Um, maybe the tolerance level is higher because they aren't going to complain as much in their feet, but it is, uh, definitely not. It, it's an interesting thing where you're constantly kind of evaluating the differences and you're seeing yeah. your child through the club foot lens as opposed to. Yes, exactly. The child yeah. lens. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Shoe recommendations. Let's see how long. I think someone asked how long should they wear the shoes? I think what they mean is the boots and bar. How long do you recommend? since that's part of your protocol and your role, is it how long? So we do up to five. We we can get up to five. So, you know, that's changed a bit over the years. So I think Professor Ponsetti upped it and then it's been up once again, but we, we, we go to five. Okay. Um, There does have to be this point where you make a decision to get the boots and bars off. It's really important because actually if your child is going to have a relapse, that's going to happen anyway, it's better to know that when they're slightly younger, because actually, if they are a child who's in the group, about 20% need tendon transfer, even if they've worn their boots religiously, boots and bars yeah. religiously, you're better off having that tendon transfer when you're slightly younger than waiting till you're eight or nine. Okay. Yeah. So, I think so, that is the part. You know, I think as parents, we do feel uh, fear about ending the boots and bar because you're like, yeah, of course. I'm trying, I like, I'm doing something This is in, ingrained in my life to yeah. make sure that I'm preventing this from happening. But I, I, I think that's really helpful to just hear that and 
they've said that, you know, like at some point you have to stop bracing. You cannot brace forever. You're not going to brace until your child is, you know, 10. So. Well, if you braced until your child was 10. Yeah. And then you found out that this is a foot that was mm. always still got this muscle imbalance. It's then you're not going to get a good result from a tat or not so good as if you yeah. are that child at five. Yeah. So th- there is a bit of that as well. But also, you know, five years is a long time. You've done your dues. You've done well. If you've worn them every night, that's great. Yeah, right. Yeah, that's you need to be applauded too. for that. Yeah, yeah. Is that part of it? All right, let's see. I think someone asked about the importance of strength in the peroneus muscle. I have no idea what that means. So, oh, I think so. What they mean is that's that that's the the perineal group of muscles are on the outside of the calf, and okay. they are part of the group that pulls the foot up and out. Oh, okay. okay. So they can be a bit weak in clubfoot. It's one of the groups okay. that is weak in clubfoot. Uh-huh. Um, and yeah, it's that's what things like penguin walking, standing on one leg, hopping. You're going to be strengthening your perineal muscles that way. Mm, okay. Yeah. Um, and they are an important group and they are the group that tend to be overpowered by tibialis anterior mm. in some children. And that's when you move tibialis anterior across the foot for a tat transfer. Gotcha. That balances the foot better and allows those uh, perineal muscles to work more fully. OK, that makes sense. And let's see. Someone said exercise for clubfoot and how to treat blisters. I mean, obviously the blisters thing is a whole different, like we we could have so an entire Yeah, I mean, the blisters are part of the, aren't really a problem once you've stopped the foot abduction brace, are they? Yeah. And they tend yeah. to be a problem in the first few months of foot right. abduction brace wear. Yeah. I mean, I think that question is really about getting the foot corrected in the first instance and making sure that the boots are fitted properly and that the boots are the right sort of boots for your foot. Because the other thing is not every child is best in one style of boot. So luckily there are a few boots on the market and for some children they're better in one shape than another. Mm. Okay. Um, So, so, you know, if you are having, so the the three questions I, the questions I always have about blisters are, is the foot fully corrected? Uh Right. Are the boots the right? Are the boots fitted properly and set up properly? And are the boots the right shape for this foot? Okay. Yeah. Oh well, I suppose the other question is: Are they being put on properly? Have you trained the fam? Are the family really confident about putting them on? Right. And also, what sort of skin has the child got? You know, some some people are much much more prone to blisters and and have much more sensitive skin. So again, but that's modifying the boots and that again in the team I work in. What's great is that we're seeing that as well as their active. You know, we're we're doing that bit as well. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I feel like that's really helpful, and that's the same thing I I say that a lot because people are always asking for like skin recommendations or how to modify the boots, and I'm like, it's all based on. you know, what is best for your kid and what your kid's skin is Mm -hmm. like, you just, and you're not really going to know that until you're into it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So it's about being patient and kind of figuring out what works best for your child individually. But I think parents really flounder when they don't have a medical team that's 
has the capability of helping them walk through that. And then things can get tricky really fast, you know, because then you're looking at having to have heels and wound care and bliss, you know, pressure sores to the point where, you know, so I think that's really good for parents to think of those four kind of four things when you're dealing with blisters, right? Is it a well-corrected foot, right? Is the foot corrected? Is the shoe? It has to have been well-fitted. Yeah. And the pet and as parents have been taught how to fit the boots and you're happy and confident about fitting them. Right. Um, And then is it the right boot? Is it the right boot? Yeah. Yeah. And then the last one is what sort of skin has your child got? So say you've got a child with really bad eczema. Yeah. You know, maybe they need to go into a boot that is a slightly more natural fabric and they do exist. You know, Mm -hmm. there are several different styles types of you know makes of boots on the market some are leather some are material some are silicon Mm. you know yeah yeah I think that that's really I think that's really helpful for parents to Mm. think about that especially the ones that seem to be dealing with consistent blisters right like Mm. that are constantly fighting that and it's becoming an issue of are they affects everybody that affects the child that affects the parents you know it really erodes that sort of confidence in wearing the boots so it's really important to work hard it would be it it's it's hard work for both but that's where that sort of parent physio partnership um it's so important yeah maybe we should do another podcast just about skin issues so that we can uh Help all the parents. I've actually really wanted to do one because I think it's a common theme with parents all the time. And when those themes constantly are popping up on social media groups, it's a clue to me that parents don't have the resources that they need to feel successful. And and the thing is, if you get a like a heel blister, Mm -hmm. you've all seen those, and some of them look really grim. If you go to a tissue viability nurse, yeah, they will be horrified. But you know, if you work in club foot regularly, you know that you just minor changes can make that heel blister disappear very oh, quickly. Yeah. And actually right. coming out of the boots for a long period of time is the last thing you really want to do. Yeah. There right. Ways of managing those blisters without coming out of the boots. Yeah. Right. Right. And yeah. I think that's the part where parents are constantly walking that line of trying to figure out what's best and they have the best intention for their kids, but they just don't always know exactly yeah. what the right thing. And if they don't have a t- person on their team who's leading them through that, then that's when things start to go a little haywire or they're yeah. like, I don't, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. And then and it's really to- tough. It's yeah. also recognizing that it's really yeah. difficult. You're asking parents to do something that's really yeah. tricky. Yeah. yeah. That's right. And I um, sometimes I think that, that gets a little bit lost in just the yeah. case and the treatment of it all. Right. Like, yeah, but it is really hard on parents and it, you're asking parents to do it for a very long period of time, you know. Yeah. Uh, so I think that that knowledge of it, too, is just important for parents to hear. So I try to make sure that when I'm talking to medical professionals of just emphasizing that it's like, you're yes. asking a lot of parents and they just need to be told sometimes that they're doing a good job. Like this is, they're yes. doing, you know, they're putting and in the work so, and they're doing the best. Yeah. You're recognizing if they're coming to you and they're really anxious, there's, yeah. then there's something behind that. There's yeah. something behind that. And, you know, you, you, you always take parents seriously. Yeah. Yeah. 
I think uh, this will be the last question, but I think I think you've already answered it, but we're going to do it anyways, which is, does my child actually need physical therapy? I was told it wasn't necessary. Well, I think we have sort of answered that. We've talked about yeah. activity. We've talked yeah. about activity. We've talked about tapping into a physio at those sort of changes in motor milestones just to reassure and make sure you're on track and you know encourage and active or we haven't what we haven't talked about is weight actually which is with that activity so that's a really really important thing that I should have probably talked we should have talked about a little bit earlier is that how what your child weighs is important and if you've got a if you've got an unfit very overweight child that child is really going to struggle with their foot and is likely to be complaining of more foot symptoms than a child that's that's uh normal weight or sort of average weight i should say average weight and active and actually having that height and weight checked every now and again is Mm. just a good wake-up call for all parents actually i think we've sort of certainly in in high-income countries we've lost a little bit of um reality about what a fit child should look like yeah okay And, and and actually you know i was taught when i trained as a physio that a fit child um, a, a child that's the, the the average weight child when they lift their arms above their head you should see an outline of their ribs and there are not many children where you can you know we've lost that ability most people nowadays would say that's a skinny child yeah well that yeah. isn't necessarily a skinny child you know yeah. so actually having the height and weight done is very relevant and talking about diet and exercise and those things so again taking that holistic view Mm. it's not just about the physio it's about activity it's about you know healthy living all of those yeah I think that's such a good point and I don't think I've ever heard anybody mention that before and I think that's really I think it's a tricky subject now because everyone has their opinions about it and whether you what you should be saying and what you shouldn't be um you know, and especially having girls, it's definitely like pointing out weight and uh, health and all of that mixed in together can get very, um, I think it, it gets tricky with par- with medical professionals. And so, yeah. but I think it's something that does impact it. And so parents have to be open to hearing that and to hearing, okay, these are the things that are going to impact have an impact on your child's overall function and strength in their feet. And so it's something to keep your eye on, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. And actually having a regular height and weight done so that you can yeah. see where you are on the, on the charts yep. is actually quite useful as a parent. Yeah. You don't need to be judged about that, but yeah. you can, you can see, but you know, there are times when you do the height and weight where there's such a massive discrepancy that yeah. actually it is helpful for that child to, to have some intervention. Yeah. Or the family to yeah. really, you know, make that decision to deal with it for the best of their child. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, I so appreciate you coming on the podcast. Oh, my pleasure. It was so <laughs> wonderful. I feel like there was such really good information for parents, and I know that they're going to benefit a lot from this episode. So thank you so much for taking the time and making this happen. It really means a lot. Oh, thanks, Maureen. It's been a real pleasure. I want to give a huge thanks to Denise for being a guest on today's podcast. She did such a great job of answering all of your guys' questions. 
that you posed through social media. And I know that you guys will learn a lot from her and her experience. So I'm just super excited for this episode to be available. And if you guys found it helpful or you know someone that's been asking questions about the physical therapy role in clubfoot treatment, feel free to share with them. And if you need to get in contact with me, you can do so through my website at maureenhoff.com or my Instagram account at clubfootchroniclesmom. Until next time.